It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. There, welcome to the tenth. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, one of my favorite parts of the aquarium hobby is learning about different aquatic habitats and considering the ecology and the fishes which reside in them. This, of course, gives me a lot of inspiration for new aquarium executions, and that's what keeps this hobby so amazing. I'm totally fascinated by the floodplain rivers and wetland complexes from which many of our aquarium fishes come. Most of these habitats are subject to extensive seasonal flooding. Large river channels possess well-developed fringing floodplain systems, such as the internal delta located at the confluence of the Apure and Orinoco rivers. Now, one of the, one of the habitats which arises in these areas is what's called a morishal. A morishal is a lowland stream found in the savanna areas of South America, the Amazon River Basin, the upper Rio Negro drainage in Brazil, and the Orinoco Basin along the Orinoco River in Venezuela and Colombia, among other locales. The habitat is dominated by a certain type of palm tree, the Mauritia palm, Mauritia flexiosa, and extensive riparian vegetation along the edge of the water. The palm only grows where its roots can be underwater, love that, and is typically found in groups, hence the term morishal, which refers to a group of them. These are surprisingly densely populated habitats, fish-wise. Morishals are characterized as having what ecologists call high structural complexity. The two types of morishal habitats are flooded vegetated areas and sandbanks. The flooded vegetated areas are dominated by stands of the aforementioned marish palm, having up to 90% of the substrate covered by large woody debris derived from riparian vegetation, mainly the palms, as well as terrestrial grasses and then leaf litter. These habitats have a very moderate or slow current and a shallow depth of three meters or one feet or less. It's a fascinating habitat in and, about, in and among itself. And there, there's some other things that are interesting too, like the sandbanks. The sandbanks in the Morishal are derived at, or defined, excuse me, as sandy beaches, which uh, are located off the main channels, mostly comprised of coarse sand substrate with a depth of around, a water depth of around three feet or one meter again, and moderate current. Now, morishals are considered important systems for the maintenance of freshwater neotropical fauna in lowland savannas. The monodominant stands of the, the marish palm and the associated groves around it provide important food to a number of terrestrial and aquatic species. Now, although typically supplied with underground water sources throughout the year, these streams swell with water during periods of seasonal flooding. Riparian vegetation and sandy substrates are everywhere. And when you have trees, vegetation, and seasonal influx of water, well, utilizing botanicals in your aquarium replication of this habitat is just par for the course, isn't it? Yeah, you're thinking ideas already. Now, the habitat itself has an abundance of botanical debris, you know, leaves, macroalgae, fallen branches, palm fronds, and a matrix of roots and stuff. And with terrestrial plants growing right up to the water's edge, the possibility to create a cool aquatic display is, um, is just amazing. With a little creativity, one could simulate the growth of the riparian vegetation of the Morishal, as we've played with quite a bit. The flooded vegetation habitats along most Morishals are important to fish fauna. 
comprised largely of small-bodied cichlids, caracins, libyasnids, which are like the pyrolina or the pen some pencilfish, and ciliarids, catfish. The sand patches tend to have slightly less species richness and population density than the vegetated areas. And it kind of makes sense that the vegetated areas are more populous, right? I mean, these literal habitats, which contain woody debris and leaf litter, are known by ecologists to support what they call higher primary and secondary productivity, which provides fishes with more foraging opportunities on a larger variety of substrates. Again, it's a case of the fishes following the food, an idea we've discussed many, many times here. Now, in a study that I found on a typical Morishal habitat by authors Carmen Montagna, Craig Lehman, and Donald C. Taphorn, yes, the same Donald C. Taphorn who's described some South American killifish species, the distribution of fishes among the two major Morishal habitats were explained as follows, and I'll just read you the quote. In vegetated patches, we found relatively high abundance of small cichlids and doradid catfishes with different body shapes and feeding habitats. habitats. Uh, or habits, excuse me. Boy, see, I've been better when I talk than not when I read. <laughs> Example was uh, Epistogramma hongnyoi, and I always pronounce that one right, but that's that's one of the fishes that they're giving an example of. Uh, small omnivorous caracids with less diversified body morphology, like caricidae, such as tetras of the genera Monchausia and Hemogrammus, dominated open and shallow beaches. That's interesting to me. And this little tidbit from the study proved quite interesting as well. Although we did not evaluate communities of small invertebrates in this study, it was apparent that the vegetated patches contained a high abundance of shrimps and other macroinvertebrates. Yeah, shrimp. Interesting. Oh, and aquatic plants, too. It's not uncommon to find large strands of Eleocharis in shallow areas. In deeper water, several species of Ludwigia are also found in significant density, and in the shallows you'll find simple filament algae many times. Another cool aquatic plant that you'll find in these habitats is the much-loved, yet challenging to many, aerial colon species, Tonina fluviatalis, which grows in dense strands within these shallow, acidic, slow-moving Morishal habitats. It's a plant I've played with before, and although it's considered to be challenging because it needs an acidic substrate and generally soft, acidic water, that's probably been the, the problem for a lot of hobbyists over the year, because I, who is not known as a plant guy, has kept those with no problem, even I'm, you know, uh, grow into pretty significant uh, stands. Anyway, although the waters in these habitats are largely clear, as in not super turbid, some are stained with tannins and typically acidic in pH, usually 6.0 or less, and have a significant amount of roots and such from terrestrial and riparian vegetation surrounding. You'll find lots of palm leaf fruits and seed pods submerged in the substrate in Morishals. And of course, that's where we come in, right? Scattering botanical materials along the bottom of an aquarium designed to replicate this type of habitat would create a pretty good replication. I would probably not go too crazy in terms of variety. Rather, I'd limit my selections to just a few um, you know, botanicals and just sort of do it that way. And the reason I would do this is because it emphasizes the abundance of several dominating uh, terrestrial plant species in, as you find in nature. And I think that's an interesting way to, to replicate a system like this, sort of really thinking about that. Oh, okay, what about the fishes, Scott? Oh, yeah, okay. These environments contain dozens of different fish species in relatively small areas, including the aforementioned kerosens, catfishes, and dwarf cichlids. Unusual kerosen species like Chemiotis uh, are also found in these habitats. Occasionally in the aquarium trade, they would make really cool stars, uh, for a specialized displays like this. You don't see them often, but they'd be interesting. The green neon tetra, one of my faves, is also known to live in this habitat as well. 
And of course, we know you can do a lot of cool things with that fish. Oh, and the dwarf pike uh, cichlids are found in more shell habitats too. Hello, sounds cool. Of course, some of the more popular characins like the pencil fishes, uh, Nanostomus unifasciatus are, are found there. And then an epistogramma, as mentioned before, along with the beloved Mesonota insignis are found in Moorish halls, which will lend a familiar, if not somewhat exotic, look to your display. So there's all kinds of things you can do with those. As a subject uh, for a riparian study, the Moorish hall environment presents a near perfect opportunity to sort of stretch your aquatic creativity while highlighting some well-known spe species in a not often duplicated ecological niche. Think of the creative possibilities here. The Moorish hall is symbolic of where we are in the aquarium hobby at a real high point where it's entirely possible to create realistic, functionally aesthetic aquatic displays using natural materials to mimic the look and feel of the amazing habitat, along with simultaneously learning about the function of them. And that's really important. With so much to explore in the natural world and so many habitats or aspects to them to replicate in the aquarium, we have unique opportunities to kind of get out of our comfort zone and study the form and function of them and create great work. It'll be really fun to see what kind of habitat representations our community will continue to push out to the world as we get further and further into the you know botanical uh, universe. Let's keep pushing. Stay creative. Stay studious. Stay bold. Stay excited. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tannin Aquatics. I hope this tiny little journey into an unusual habitat has maybe piqued your interest to go a little farther and we could talk more about the functional aspects of it at some future date. But anyway, Stay bold, stay excited, stay enlightened, and always stay wet. Thanks again. Have a nice day.